0: Good morning. I just want to welcome you here. I'm Kelly Larson, one of the pastors here. I ask you to turn, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to be continue working through this. Jesus is praying. And as we've seen, he's been praying uh, for his own glory. He's been praying for, the, for his disciples. He's been praying for us. Last week, we were talking about this mission. In fact, I hope you've been seeing a theme as we've been working through John that Christ has you in mind. He is at work to bring uh, hope and joy and sanctification to you. He loves you, but he also has all of his people in mind and he's charged us with a mission to go and to take the gospel, to take the name of Christ out and to proclaim that truth to the world around us. And so Jesus' prayer is very much connected to that mission, Last week I I gave an analogy of two ships. For those who uh, are on their way to the cruise ship, if they are preparing to take that seven-day cruise at some tropical location, they have in mind a whole set of ideas about what that will be. Uh, Another group of soldiers who are on their way to the battleship, who are on their way to war, they have in mind an entirely different set of expectations as to what that will look like. Jesus is going to be praying for the unity of the church, and I want you to think about unity in the context of those differing ships, and particularly if someone mistakenly ends up in the second group. They thought they were headed off to their seven week Caribbean vacation, and they ended up on a warship. What might happen to the relationships? What might happen to the unity of those who? Are interacting with one another i I'm, I imagine they'll be very frustrated with their circumstances, and I imagine that'll work its way out into the relationships they have with the staff there, complaining about the food. well, where's the buffet right? Complaining about the entertainment? there isn't any and complaining about the uh the, the reality that they're getting shot at. but this is the Christian's life, right. You and I have been called on a mission. We've been called to the battleship, and that that matters. And our ability to be unified with one another, the ability to carry that out well is is really rooted and grounded in who it is that's called us and what we've been called to. If we understand that, if we understand who it is that called us, what he's called us to, then it really helps. We'll have expectations. I imagine that in a well-run battleship, there's a lot of unity right? There's focus. There's unity. There's camaraderie. There's friendship. There's bonds of love. So we're looking at Jesus's prayer for the church this morning. We're going to be looking particularly at verses 20 through 26. But as we've done, we're going to review just what Jesus is doing in this prayer, the three uh, groups he's praying for, and then we'll read the whole prayer together. So first, let's talk about the structure of Jesus's prayer real quickly, just by review. Jesus has prayed for the manifestation and fulfillment of God's glory, most evident in In the cross, most evident in Christ's crucifixion. And then last week we talked about Jesus in his prayer for his apostles, the 11 apostles whom he was giving his word to, or to whom he was giving his word and sending them out into the world in order to build the church. And then this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus' prayer for his church. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for us. So John 17, we're going to look at the whole thing, beginning of verse 1. You follow along while I read. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory, with which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. And I will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, we thank you so much for this prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help as we look at the last portion of the, this morning, to give me clarity of mind and speech. Help me to bring forth that which you would have us to hear this morning. And may you open up all of our ears to hear. And Lord, may you remind us of the glory of Christ. And may you remind us of the significance of the mission that we have. And may you draw us together in unity. That we might declare the gospel and display the gospel to the world around us. Lord, we depend upon you for all of these things, and we pray these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. All right, so as we work this through, the main idea of the text this morning is this. Jesus prayed that his church would be formed by his word, perfected in real unity, and brought safely home to eternal fellowship with him in his final glory. So Jesus is praying specifically for the church now. He's praying for you and me now. He's praying for the church of all time. And he's praying, understanding that we will be formed by his word, praying to that end. And he's praying that we will be perfected in real unity. Unity, as you may have seen, is a theme of this prayer. One, 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 in him, in him, one, one, one. And that we might be brought home, safely home, to eternal fellowship with him in his final glory. Now, as we have already said, Lord Jesus has said, the Father always hears his prayers, right? The father always listens and answers his prayers and praise God that we can we can know that when Jesus prays for us, the Lord hears, the father hears and answers those prayers. There's great hope in that for us. So let's talk about Jesus' prayer for the church. Let's look at this in three ways this morning. First, let's ask the question, what forms the church for which Jesus prayed? What forms the church? And as an extension of this, really, the question is, what forms you? So what forms us? What forms you? Well, in answering this question, we're going to look at two things that form the church. Number one, the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ forms the church. It is that which God uses to bring the life necessary to bring about the church. So we read in chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these only, these eleven only, but for those also who believe in me through their word, through the word of these eleven. As we saw last week, the Lord gave the word to the eleven and then commissioned them and sent them out to proclaim that word throughout the world. And here we are. And Jesus is now praying for us. He's asking on behalf of those now, like you and me, who have heard this word and believed. Now notice that he says, that He's praying for those who believe in Me through their Word. As I said, the Lord has given this Word to them. They proclaim it, and clearly it is through the Word that the the church is then formed. You and I are here because of this Word that was proclaimed. This is what brings about the life that we have in Christ. It's His Word. It is the Word of God given to the apostles by Christ that brings life to dead souls and that forms His body, the church. As the Scriptures say, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It says you were were dead spiritually, but you have been brought to life in Christ. Well, how did that happen? John 6.63, Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. It is the words spoken by the power that the Holy Spirit uses the instrument of the Word to bring about this life. This is what forms the church. The Word of Christ. John 17:8. earlier in this prayer, Jesus says, For the words which, I, which you gave me, he's speaking to the Father, Father, the words you gave me, I have given to them, I have given to the eleven, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. He gave them that word, and as we've seen, he gave that word to them with a mission to take that word out and to proclaim the gospel of Christ to all. John 17, 14, and then 17 and 18. If we put those together, we read, I have given them Your Word. Your Word is truth. And it is that Word that sanctifies God's people. And He goes on and says, as You sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. To do what? To proclaim this Word. Right? Why? So that... Christ will build his church, right? It is by the proclamation of the word that the church is formed. It's by the proclamation of the word that you and I are formed. As Paul says in Romans 10 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of Christ. Jesus spoke this Word to His eleven, said, go take this Word to the world. You and I have it now in written revelation and we proclaim it. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is still today taking this Word as an instrument to bring about faith and life. It is the Word of Christ that forms the church and it is the Word of Christ that forms you. If it is the Word of Christ that forms the church then we must be faithful to take hold of and preach the Word of Christ as He has charged us to do. So individually, as believers, if we understand that it is the Word of Christ that forms me and that forms us as a people, then I ought to take hold of that Word for my formation. Right? But I also ought to proclaim that Word for the formation of the church and for the formation of my brothers and sisters in Christ. If my sister or my brother is in need of spiritual maturity, what will form that spiritual maturity in her or him? The Word of Christ. This is what I, this is what I bring to him or to her. As 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, that Word that Jesus had given them, you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of god which also performs its work in you who believe did you see that last statement the word of god performs its work in you who believe this is a promise this is the word of god is powerful the word of god is what he uses it's it's his word that he uses to perform the work, and he will perform it. His work will never come back to him, void or empty of what he intended it to do. So the word of Christ forms the church. But now, connected to this, faith in Christ's word forms the church, right? So the word comes, but it's by hearing the word that faith comes. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. So faith must be there for the formation of the church and for our formation and for our continuing formation. We live by faith, right? Day by day, we put our faith in Christ. 1720, who believe in me through their Word. But did you see that first part? Who believe in me. Who believe in me through their Word. Those two things can't be separated. The Word comes and we believe it. We believe the Word. John 17, 8. For the words which You gave Me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understand that I came forth from You. And they believed that You sent Me. They heard those words and they believed. They exercised faith in Christ. They heard Him and they believed Him. You must believe that the words of Christ that testify, the words of Jesus, that testify that He is the Christ, the one sent by God to save the world, and believing you are brought into the church, the family of God. So you must believe these words of Jesus. And Jesus is proclaiming to you, I am the Christ. And He's saying to you, the Father sent me into the world as the Savior of the world, and there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. And in believing that, You are brought into the church, that is, into the family of God, made to be a part of His body. John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. To those who believe in His name. To those who believe in His name. To them He gave the right to become children of God. Now the amazing thing about this is that this faith is a gift. This faith that we that we receive, it's a gift of the Lord. It's, it's a power of, of, of God to awaken in us and to, to give us eyes to see and then to believe. But we cannot disconnect the faith from the Word and from the formation of its church. Those things go hand in hand. You must believe that Jesus is is the Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the world. If you're here this morning and you have not believed this, I appeal to you, believe. Jesus has has demonstrated that He is the Son of God. He is the One sent by the Father with the only words of life. Life cannot be found anywhere apart from Christ. Believe in Him. And if you will not, you will face Him as your Lord and Master and He will be rightly and justly angry and will punish you for all of eternity. Don't find yourself in that place. Repent. Believe. You can do that now. So this is what forms the church the Word of Christ and faith in Christ. But it leads us to the second question. What is the unity for which Jesus prayed? Because the focus of this prayer is unity. That they might be perfected in unity. What is this unity? John 17:20 20 through 23 read this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that is, you and me, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me, And I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory which you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Do you see the this prayer that is consistently for unity? that they may be one, that they may be one. Or as he specifically says, that they may be perfected or completed or brought to maturity in unity. And you just see the connection between that unity and the mission of the church, that they may know that you sent me. The unity of the church is fundamental to its health, life, and its proclamation and testimony. So what is this unity? What is this unity? We're going to look at four aspects of this. We could talk about more, but we're going to focus on four. First, it is our shared union with Christ. It is our shared union with Christ. John 17, 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then he goes on in verses 22 and 23, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, And you and me. Listen, this is uh, instruction and language beyond which I am fit to exposit. There is a mystery here in this union that Jesus is talking about that goes beyond our human ability to understand. There is a mystical nature to it. Now, I'm not saying we're mystics, don't misunderstand me, but there is something fundamentally spiritual and beyond our comprehension that Jesus is talking about here but we'll try to understand a bit of it so that they may also be in us he's talking about you and me that we might be in the godhead in the father in the son and in the spirit that you might be that we might be in him in some way now Jesus helps us a little bit to understand this as he goes on to say i in them and you in me so there is this Unity between the Father and the Son, whereby they are one in essence. God is one, and yet two in persons, and there is this unity that exists, as I said, beyond our comprehension, yet very real. And uh, Jesus is united to us. Now, He's united to us, certainly through the indwelling Holy Spirit who comes and takes up residence within us. He says the Spirit will not only be with you, but will be in you. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Christ in you. So, I in them, and you, Father, in Jesus. And so, together, us being, or we being in the Godhead. Do you see that? Listen, I I understand. You're going, wow, Kelly. Yeah, exactly. That they may all be one. This is the focus of the prayer, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the unity about which Jesus is praying has to do with something here, right? That they may be one. Or as he goes on to say in verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one. Now there's a a commentator I think is very helpful. I thought it would be most helpful just to quote him directly so that you can follow along. First of all, this emphasis, the emphasis is upon the unity of the Godhead that corresponds to the unity of all believers. Right? So there is a unity being spoken of here that applies to us together, corresponds to us, but there's some form in which it also corresponds to the Godhead. So here is this commentator. It is not the union of nature which is referred to. In other words... God the Father and God the Son are in nature one. And it's not that. We're not one with Him. We're not God, in other words. Right? We're not God. It is not the union of nature which is referred to, but the union of plan, of counsel, of purpose. Seeking the same objects and manifesting attachment to the same things and a desire to promote the same ends. It's sharing in the same convictions, the same passions, the same aspirations, the same desires, the same goals, the same mission. Being of one mind, just as the Father and the Son are of one mind. He says this repeatedly in John. I didn't do anything on my own initiative, but I did that which the Father sent me to do. We are one in the mind. And this is the kind of unity that you and I have in our union with Christ. Despite differences. You know, like denominational differences, for example. Despite differences, true believers are united to the same Lord and share the same peace and the same enemies, the same hopes and the same joys and the same goals and the same destiny. If you are in Christ, regardless of denomination, if you are in Christ we have a union with Him that shares in this same, same, same. So it is our shared union with Christ. But it is also our shared participation in the divine nature. It is our shared participation in the divine nature. John 17, 2, "...even as you gave Him authority over all flesh, Father, even as You gave the Son authority over all flesh, that to all whom You have given Him He may give eternal life. Or as we read in 5.21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. That He may give eternal life. The Son is giving life. Right? The Son gives life to whom he wishes. So what does this mean? Well, Peter helps us understand this in chapter 1 verse 4 when he says, "He has granted to us his promises, his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust." Wow. By them. By the promises given. Can I say it this way? By the Word of Christ. By the Gospel. By all that that entails. All of the promises. All that Christ has given to us in the Gospel. By them. You have been made to be a partaker of the divine nature. Now let's talk about this because what we're not saying is that you have become divine. You've not become God. You're not like a little God running around. So, but... You have been united and connected to Christ such that his life is now flowing in you. John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me he can do nothing. Think with me about this for a second. As life flows from vine to branches, so the life of Christ flows from him to us. We are all branches of the same vine deriving the same life from the same source. If we are in Christ, the life of Christ connected to Him is what flows into us and produces fruit, right? We are partakers of that divine nature. We are recipients of His life. Because we share in this divine nature, the fruit we bear is of the same kind. Have you noticed something? Peach trees bear peaches. Right? I I don't know of a peach tree that produces kumquats. Right? Peach trees, why do they bear peaches? Because it is the nature, the life of that peach tree, that life bears a life of its kind. Right? Contrary to the world's way of thinking, humans give birth to humans. Listen, our our world has gone off the rails in terms of what we think can happen when it comes to the the propagation of our species. Men can have babies, apparently. This... (laughs) This cannot be. But the life that Christ gives us, we partake in that and we bear fruit in keeping with that, right? It is the fruit of righteousness that works itself out into the complex circumstances of diverse believers indwelled by the same Spirit. Listen, we live in complex circumstances, don't we? And if you look at the world and you look at the history of the church and if you look at the, the church today, are there not complex circumstances in which people live? Right? And and then you think about believer to believer. Is there not a diversity of believers? Look next to you. Look to your left. Look to your right. I, I guarantee you the person you're looking at is different than you are. They're different, right? There's diversity here. And yet, we all bear fruit of righteousness. And that righteousness, that fruit of righteousness is what works itself out into all of those various circumstances and through all of those various personalities. But it is the same divine nature working that out in us. Here's another way of saying it. It is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control worked out in life. The life of Christ in you works these things out and this is the foundation of unity. When the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and bears this fruit, this life of Christ, connected to the vine, bears fruit in us, we love one another, we're kind to one another, we're good, we're, we're good to one another, we're faithful, we're gentle, all of these things, and, and in functioning that way, that type of unity that's aimed at a shared purpose and a shared goal of proclaiming Christ, the world looks at that and says, "Wow, that's different." So it's our shared union with Christ, it's our shared participation in the divine nature, and it's our shared participation in Christ's glory. Our shared participation in Christ's glory. John 17:22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Okay, what is this? The glory the Father gave to the Son was in respect to the hour of His glory, right? We read, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son. What was that hour? It was the hour of Christ's crucifixion. The hour and all entailed in that hour when Christ redeemed His people on the cross where Christ was glorified, where the Father was most glorified, as all of the manifest elements of His or aspects of His glory were seen most clearly there. This glory, or rather the effects of it, Christ has given to us. The effects of what Christ accomplished on the cross have been given to you. They that they may be one. One. The effects of the cross, the redemption of His people have been given to you so that you might reflect the oneness and the unity of God who gave it to you. The unity for which Jesus prayed was a unity that would flow out of the practical realities accomplished by Christ at the cross. The realities of our transformation from one degree of glory to another. Think about what Christ accomplished on the cross. Let's not flatten that out simply to a ticket we have for eternal life one day. I've got my ticket. And I'm okay. When I die, I know I'm going to heaven. Is that all that salvation is? Surely not. Salvation is all of life. It's everything. It's a, an entire change, a transformation, a new creation. And it bears itself out into every element of your life. What Christ accomplished at the cross encompasses all that God intended to do in you, through you, and for you. And it's this glory that He is working out in you now as He transforms you and renews your mind. First or 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This glory that was given to Him, we behold it as if in a mirror, and the Lord is working that into us, and increasingly we are manifesting or revealing that same glory to all of those around us. Well, what is this glory? Well, it's what we've been talking about. It's the unity of purpose and mission. It's the love we have for one another. It's the peace that we find in unity. It's the joy that we share. It's all of these things that are entailed in the Gospel. This is being worked out in us. This is the unity that we have. As we are transformed, we grow in our love for Christ and in our love for one another. And what did Jesus say? How will they know that you are my disciples? By your love for one another. As we are conformed and transformed by Christ and see His glory and beauty, and as that works itself out, it means I love Him and I love you. And my love for you becomes like His love for you and like His love for me. And this blows the mind of a world that that doesn't have anything to do with that kind of love. And this is directly connected to the mission that we have. And that leads us to our last point. It is our shared participation in Christ's mission. It is our shared participation in Christ's mission. John 17:1, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Or as we read in 22 and 23, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. This is missional. The Lord has engaged us in a mission, He sent us to get on a battleship, and that they may know that you love them even as you have loved me. I want to pause here for just a moment and drive home the the amazing depths of the truth of Jesus saying here. How much did the father love the son? How much does the father love the son, right? I mean infinitely even as he loved the son. He has loved you. If you are in Christ, the Father has loved you to the depths of His love. This should work itself out in our lives in love for one another and in a way that testifies to the world and declares to them the Gospel. We all share a mission to declare the good news of the love of Christ and display the truth of his transforming power, we are called to declare the gospel, but we 're also called to live in such a way that displays its power, and it 's that display that Jesus is praying for. Father, unify them, bring them together in one, show them a shared purpose and a shared nature or, or, or part in, a, in divine nature and glory and a shared mission, and send them out into the world in such a way that they will see the glory of Christ. Now, we, we're we never going to fulfill this purpose and mission perfectly, but it ought to be our desire and aim. We ought to be seeking to love one another in this way. This will be for the salvation of those who believe, but for the condemnation of those who do not. There will be those who hear the word proclaimed, see it displayed, and believe and praise God, but there will be those who hear the word proclaimed and see it displayed and turn away. And on judgment, this will be a part of their condemnation. Listen, friend, if you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Christ, you are hearing this message this morning. And you will stand before Jesus. And this message will serve as condemnation to you if you do not turn away from yourself, repent, and believe on Jesus. He will will be able to say to you at least to some degree, you've beheld My glory. You saw it. I showed it to you. You have no excuse. Listen, friend. Jesus cares and He loves the world. And he He came into this world Because he loves it so, give your life to him, and you will find that his love for you is of the same depths as his love for for, for the Father's love for his son. Finally, what is the future for which Jesus prayed? What is the future for which Jesus prayed? Let's do this quickly. Number one, eternal fellowship with the Son. Eternal fellowship with the Son. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am so that they may see My glory which You have given Me for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. I desire that they also be with Me where I am, that we might have eternal fellowship with Christ. Or, as He has said earlier in John 14:3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am there you may be also our future for which christ is praying is a future of eternal fellowship with a glorified christ so that they may see my glory which you have given me what is this glory he's talking about here Just verse 5 now father glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which you had which i had with you before the world was this is the full undiluted unobscured, radiant glory of Christ. The future for which Jesus prayed is a future of glorious fellowship with the glorified Christ. What a future that will be. Amen? Amen. I mean, to behold Christ in His awesome, radiant glory... For those who know him, we will fall, fall down before him in joy, overwhelmed by this awe and this amazing praise and celebration and anticipating this will be for, for, for eternity. But for those who do not know Christ, to observe this glory will be horrifying, because they will come to know that He is king and He is Lord eternal fellowship with the Son, and finally, final glorification in the likeness of the Son's final glory. The future of the church, your future, my future, is final glorification in the likeness of the Son's final glory. The glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. Part of this is looking forward to this future. Much of it is now. Part of it is looking forward. Romans 8, 29-30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. These whom He justified, He also glorified. Now you're not glorified yet. I don't think I have to break that news to you. I don't think think we're confused about that but you will be. And and Paul can speak of this in the past tense or in this completed sense. Because it's done, though it's not yet done. Right? It's done, but it's not yet done. Just as our justification has been secured by Christ, so has our glorification. Christ has secured your salvation, but He's also secured your glorification we will be remade in the likeness of the glorified Christ who is the perfect image of God. This will be true for you and me. Praise God. That you and I will put off this body of flesh fraught with all kinds of yuck (laughs) and put on something like Christ. As we see in 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. This is the future that we have as believers. Praise God. Here's our conclusion. It is the Word of Christ that forms the church and it is the Word of Christ that forms you. It is the Word of Christ that forms the church and it is the Word of Christ that forms you. So take hold of Christ through His Word and declare and display Him to the world. We could say take hold of Christ through His Word and declare and display it to yourself. Right? Preach the Gospel to yourself, but look outward and proclaim this and display this to the world around you. Proclaim Christ and His Word. And then rest in the assurance of the whole salvation that Christ has accomplished and trust that He will bring you safely home to Himself. Every one of us is on a road. Every one of us is on a road to a grave. Right? Every one of us is on a road to a grave. But that's not our home. The Lord will ensure that you will be safely taken home into eternal fellowship with Him. Praise God rest in that let's pray father we thank you so much for this morning we thank you for the the word we thank you that it is life to us lord we pray that you would help us as we think about these things together you would lead us and lord that you would make your word would you make it the centerpiece of our thoughts such that we we come to know you more the one who has given us this word and the one about whom the word speaks And Lord, I pray that we would be on mission, that we would be a people who are declaring the gospel, but who are also displaying it and displaying it most in unity. Love for one another, forgiving each other, bearing with one another, being patient toward one another, being faithful to each other, just as you have done all of this and more for us. Lord, we pray these things in Christ and for Christ and by Christ's power. Amen. Let's stand together. Which ship are you on? Which ship did you think you were on? There is glory in battle when done righteously. Let's remember that you and I are on a battleship. And let's come together with one mind. Let's come together with one mission, with one destiny with one hope, with one Lord, one gospel, one baptism. And let's take that into the world and declare it. And let's also display it in the way that we live together and and interact with one another. Amen? Amen? Go in peace.